Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. I want to ask you today, if you have God's word with you, to take it and open to Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, for this morning's message and for our time together today. Perhaps John 3.16 might be the most quoted verse of Scripture in the entire Bible. Perhaps. But if that is true, I would probably argue that the 23rd Psalm is the most quoted chapter in all of the Bible. I would imagine today that most of us here today have heard the 23rd Psalm on multiple occasions and situations in our lifetime. In fact, as I think about that, my mind quickly goes back to just days after 9-11, when President Bush stood at a podium and as he was wrapping up his speech, he ended by reciting the 23rd Psalm. There have been countless occasions where I have been in the hospital room with someone who is on their deathbed, and someone from the family will say, Pastor, Will you read the 23rd Psalm? Even in the context of memorial messages, I have been to so many services where, where frankly, I probably couldn't count them all, where someone had said, Pastor, would you please read the 23rd Psalm? The fact is, many people, when they think of the 23rd Psalm, they find much comfort there. We find comfort there because we're reminded that there is a good shepherd who loves us and cares for us, who meets our needs, who is looking out for us. There is no doubt about it that in difficult and heavy situations in life, we have a good shepherd who is there to help us. But the fact is, is that when you really study the background of the 23rd Psalm, you find that it's not a very heavy moment at all. In fact, it is with a great tone of celebration, with exuberance, that David looks to the Lord and declares aloud that we have a good shepherd. My question for us to consider today and in the coming weeks is simply this. There is a good shepherd. The question is this, is he your good shepherd? And if he is your good shepherd, how are you following him? How are you trusting him? How are you living for him today? Over the next six weeks, we're going to be going through the 23rd Psalm. And that means today, we're going to read the entire chapter. But in our time together, we're going to focus on one simple verse. And every single week, we're going to focus on the verse that follows, verse 2 and verse 3 and so forth. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, oh my goodness, we're going to spend six weeks on this? And the answer is absolutely. Of all the images that God would use to describe his relationship to us, perhaps the one that is most misunderstood in our society today is this image of he as our shepherd and we as his sheep. But I believe there's much that God wants us to learn, and I pray that God would use it to come to a place of deeper understanding, of deeper appreciation, of deeper love, and ultimately, even deeper devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we begin the series, The Good Shepherd. I want to ask you physically, if you're able to do so, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word? We're going to read the entire psalm and then come back to the verse of emphasis today. Here's what the Bible says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's go back to verse one, and can we say it out loud together? Two simple phrases. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're the good shepherd. I pray that we know you and that we live our life with that confidence and conviction to be able to say, I shall not want. Open our eyes to see where we stand with you. Open our hearts to trust you today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. This morning as we begin this message and this series, we want to begin today by focusing on the good shepherd's provision. The good shepherd's provision. There is no doubt when you read through the 23rd Psalm or perhaps hear it recited, there are all sorts of images that come to mind. Perhaps we envision the lush green pastures where there's plenty of feed to eat. Perhaps we envision the still, calm waters from which the sheep can drink from. Perhaps we envision a hillside or maybe even a valley and the question of what predators might be there along the way. There's lots of things that we might envision as we think about sheep in the context of a field. But what we need to recognize in this pastor scripture and ultimately in our lives is that really the primary focus needs to be on the faithful, the gentle, the gracious, and the consistent good shepherd. The well-being of sheep is entirely dependent upon the shepherd, his care and his attention, the way that he loves and ministers to and looks out for the sheep. The good news for us today is that there is a good shepherd. And David tells us all about him in Psalm 23. So as we look at verse 1, those simple sentences, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, tell us three important things about the sheep. The first thing I want you to see this morning is simply this, it is the celebration of the sheep. The celebration of the sheep. Maybe when you think about that statement, the celebration of the sheep, that sounds a little bit humorous, for example. A sheep cannot celebrate the way that we do in our own life, for example. We don't ever read or see a sheep high-fiving, knuckle-bumping, or even head-butting for fun, okay? That is not how they celebrate. But when we consider the fact that we are like sheep in the Lord's pasture, we begin to recognize some things that bring us to a place of celebration. As David penned these words, the Lord is my shepherd, he was absolutely celebrating. So what is it that led him to celebrate in this moment? Two things that stand out. The first that stand out is what he recognized. I want you to see the recognition of the sheep. Now this is King David of Israel. This is King David who was known for his power and his military might. This is the king who later had been said of him that, David, uh, that Saul had slain his thousands, but David had slain his ten thousands. David was a mighty, victorious military general. This is also David who knew how to worship God. He was the man after God's own heart. He would dance before the Lord. He would play the harp before the Lord. He would literally sing and write songs of praise to the Lord. David as a king became a very wealthy man. He had many, much wealth. He had many servants. He had great aspirations. But in the midst of all the accolades, in the midst of all the prestige and all the notoriety and all the fame, there's one thing that stood out about David in the midst of it all. David was a very humble man. Perhaps there were circumstances that led to that type of humility, but one of the things that also shaped this humility in David's life was the way that he was raised. David grew up in the home of a shepherd by the name of Jesse. 
And even as a young man, David was put in charge of taking care of the sheep. That means as a young shepherd boy in Israel, David learned how to take care of sheep. He learned how to look out for them. He learned how to make sure they had fresh water and plenty of places to graze. He learned how to protect them from predators that would come against them. He learned how to lead them, to serve them, and to meet their needs. David had such a heart of humility and was known as such a shepherd that years later he would literally become known as the shepherd king of Israel. David was loved and admired and respected. And yet in his humility, David recognized something about himself. For all the fame and all the prestige and all the crowns and all the wealth, David never forgot his own humanity. He recognized that he needed someone else. He recognized that he was dependent upon someone greater than him. He recognized, as much as he was known as the shepherd king, that even in the midst of that, he too was still just a sheep. What does a sheep need? Frankly, a sheep needs everything. Sheep can't protect themselves. Sheep don't have any sense of of direction or instruction. Sheep ultimately in that context can't even make sure they're feeding themselves healthily. They need a good shepherd to take care of these things. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, it is a humble acknowledgement and recognition that he too is just a sheep in need of direction, provision, protection, and instruction from a shepherd. And so David says, the Lord is my shepherd. It's a statement of recognition, but it's also a statement of relationship. I want you to see the relationship to the shepherd. See, what brings David to this point of celebration is not only the fact that he recognizes that he's a sheep in major need, but it's also that he has a relationship with the Lord as his shepherd. Who's he referring to? This reference to the Lord is a reference to Jehovah God, the covenant-making God of Israel. It's really interesting when you go back and study the Bible, you begin to find in the Old Testament especially, God repeatedly referred to himself as a shepherd for the people of Israel. The first time we see that is in Genesis chapter 48, verse 15, where Israel blesses Joseph and describes God in this way. He says, he is the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Throughout the Psalms, there are literally dozens of references to God, Jehovah God, our provider, as the good shepherd. I love the imagery found in Isaiah chapter 40 where the Bible says it this way. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a what? Shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and will carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing youth. In other words, Jehovah God, the covenant-making God of Israel, he is depicting himself to us as our shepherd who tends to us, who is concerned for us, who cares for us in our needs. But I want you to know this imagery does not stop there with Jehovah God. In fact, in the Old Testament, we have several messianic prophecies where God depicts for us, he promises that a Messiah will come, the Savior will come, and he will be a shepherd to us. Maybe you remember the pastor scripture in Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells us that little prophecy that the Savior would one day come and be born in a city known as Bethlehem. Two verses later, listen to this statement about the Messiah. He will arise and he will what? Shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord as God, and they will remain because at that time he'll be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. 
In other words, Jehovah God is a shepherd to Israel, but he's going to send the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to be a shepherd to his people. No wonder then, when Jesus came on the scene in the midst of his earthly ministry in John chapter 10, he would say it absolutely emphatically and clearly, John 10 verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What did Jesus say? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He said, Pastor, what does that have to do with Psalm 23? Everything to do with it. Why? Because before Psalm 23 is another chapter known as Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. What that means is that in that chapter, there are several messianic prophecies, promises that would be fulfilled in the coming Savior, the Messiah who would come in the future. As best I can tell from my examination of Scripture, there are more messianic prophecies in Psalm 22 than any other chapter in Psalm. There are six of them there. For example, it is in Psalm 22 that we hear this statement first. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where did Jesus pray that? On the cross. It is in Psalm 22 that we learn that on the cross, the Messiah would be parched with thirst. It's in Psalm 22 that we learn while on the cross, the soldiers would cast lot for the Savior's garments. It's there in Psalm 22 that we learn while on the cross, literally his hands and his feet would be pierced. That is the background for David saying, in light of the fact that a Savior will come, he's going to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. He's going to die on the cross. It's in that context that David says loud and clear, the Lord is my shepherd. It's a statement of celebration and of faith because he believed that the Jehovah God of Israel was sending the Savior into the world. In our culture today, no doubt, we lose the impact of that illustration of being shepherd and sheep. Even here in the Shenandoah Valley, where we are largely a rural area with lots of farms, and frankly, there's more sheep today than there were even six years ago, we still miss a lot. But maybe when we depict it with other illustrations, maybe we understand it a little bit better. For example, in the Old Testament, one of the primary means that God demonstrates his relationship to us is the demonstration of a relationship between a father and a child. I've been reading through the book of Ezekiel recently, and in Ezekiel, God is extremely graphic in describing the Israelites, and he basically says to them, listen, you were a child who was abandoned. You were a child who was unwanted. You were a child who was unloved and literally a child left for dead. But I loved you, and I cared for you. I saw you in your point of need. I heard your cries. I set my affection on you, and I adopted you as my own. No doubt a child who has been longing for a father and longing for a provider and longing for love, when they're adopted by a loving father, there's a celebration that's there. In the New Testament, God would give us the imagery of a bride and a groom to say that Jesus is the groom and all who believe in Jesus, we are the bride, no doubt. On a wedding celebration, when a bride's walking down the aisle and she's looking at her groom and she knows that he's a good man and that he's honest and he's a hard worker and that he's gonna love her sacrificially. When she walks down the aisle, she doesn't walk down the aisle saying, oh, I hope this turns out okay. <laughs> no, she's excited. There's celebration. She can't wait to say, I do, for her to be the, 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 the devoted to one another as husband and wife. That's a bit of the background of celebration that is intended as well for this illustration between uh, in our relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. But it causes me to pause for a moment and ask a question. And that question is this. 
Is it automatic that we are automatically a part of the flock of God? How does a shepherd claim a sheep? Now, now many of you know that I, I grew up in Alabama, and I grew up until I was 15 years old on a small kind of hobby farm. And in that hobby farm, we had sheep, and we had chickens, and we had rabbits, and we had dogs, and whatever critter along the way we could gather, okay? That's how things worked. But in the context of that, until I was 15 years old, my primary responsibility was to take care of the sheep. So there are several illustrations of the course of this message over the series that I plan to share with you. There are also several illustrations that I'll share from a writer by the name of Philip Keller, who was a shepherd and has also been a pastor, and there's much that we can learn from his writing today. But, but let me illustrate that. In order for a sheep to be claimed by the shepherd, as practical as this sounds, the shepherd to begin has to pay a price. Several years ago, Heather and I lived in Christiansburg, Virginia, and for uh, the first uh, six years or so that we lived there, we lived in a small neighborhood, just like you know, a, lot, a lot of different people, but as we lived in that neighborhood, I desired, really, to be able to one day have land and have some animals, I grew up on a farm, and I found it to be a very practical way to teach children responsibility and teach wonderful, healthy life lessons on a farm. And so I desired that. And so I remember the day that came that finally we sold that house, and we were looking for a new house. And, and I remember literally, we, like the, we were up against the time clock where we had to be out of our house in like 31 days, and we we're praying like, God, you got to open a way in the wilderness here. And God did. We found a house that needed more than a little bit of work, but it sat on 22 acres, and we, I mean, God really provided for us, and we bought this house. And I remember when the moment we moved into that house, I began to make plans for how we could have animals, and where we could put them, and what that would look like. And of course, growing up on a sheep farm, basically, my primary desire was to eventually have sheep. But we didn't have the money for that. We were just trying to get into the house, and, and we didn't have money even to make those upgrades for a while. But the fact is, I remember thinking through when we could get sheep, what it was going to cost, how much money I needed to save. But I began to do that. I began to have a vision for it. I began to map it out. I began to save money. I will never forget after a few years of being there, finally having the money saved up, going to a local farm, talking to the farmer, watching the sheep, kind of examining to see which ones are strong and which ones I desired to have and which ones I thought would be healthy and all those different things. But finally when the agreement was made, I had to pay a price. And I still remember to this day thinking, this is more money than I should be paying for these sheep. I remember how painful it was taking that cash out of my pocket. I remember how difficult it was. But there was also a sense of pride of knowing I was purchasing these sheep for me and for our family. And basically they were gonna be like pets to us. Well, the reality is, is that in order for us to be a part of the flock of God, we were not born into it automatically, physically, when we were born here on this earth. We become a part of the flock of God only because of a payment that he made. The Bible tells us loud and clear that God, in order for us to be in his fold, he had to pay a price. And here's what he did. Remember what John chapter 10 says? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. The payment was Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who willingly laid down his life for us. Hebrews 13 says it this way. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead, listen, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing and in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
In other words, the payment for the sheep was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might know him and have relationship with him. The King James word of that, the New Testament word of that is the word redeemed. It means literally to buy back. There is a purchase price that's given so that we might be claimed. First Peter chapter one says it this way. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers, listen, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. In other words, without Jesus Christ, we are hopelessly lost in our sins. We do not have a relationship with God the Father. We are not in his fold. But Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, he laid down his life on the cross paying the price for our sins. And all who believe in him were forgiven and were cleansed, but were brought into the fold or the flock of God. Second thing I want you to see this morning is this. I want you to see the confidence of the sheep. The celebration is that David looks and he says, listen, the Lord is my shepherd. It's like he's saying, of all the people in my life I could follow, of all the people's management that I could be under, of all the people that I've ever known who could care for me and love me and take care for me and provide for me, it is the Lord Jehovah who is faithful and true. He is my shepherd. And out of that, we see his great confidence. See, the fact is, David could say, the Lord is my shepherd, but he didn't stop there. He said, I shall not want. You cannot make that statement unless you have a relationship with the good shepherd and are confident in who he is. David's confidence in this moment as a sheep wasn't based entirely on the character and the conduct of the shepherd that he was following. Now, I think it's important to point out something here. There are some who have suggested that David was likely writing this as a young man, as a young shepherd. But I do not believe at all that that is true. In fact, I believe when you study this in its entirety and study other Psalms where David refers to the good shepherd, I believe likely he's an older man. I believe with a guy by the name of Frank Morgan who called this song the song of the old shepherd. J. Vernon McGee says it this way. In Psalm 23, you do not have the musings of a green, inexperienced lad, but the mature deliberations of a ripe experience. When David came close to the end of his life, he looked back upon his checkered career and then wrote this song. The old king on the throne remembered the shepherd boy. Listen to this. Life had beaten, battered, baffled, and bludgeoned this man. And yes, that is alliterated and I love it. He was a hardened soldier, a veteran who knew victory, privation, and hardship. He knew song and shadow. He was tested and tried. Therefore, in Psalm 23, we do not have the theorizing of immaturity, but fruit and the mature judgment born of a long life. In other words, here is David as an older man who's seen it all. He's been on the mountain, and he's been in the valley. He's known life to the fullest, and he's also been running for his life. And yet through it all, he would say, guess what, guys? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, what confidence does the sheep have that should change and impact the way we live today? Three confidences that we should have in the shepherd. First off, we see the shepherd's concern. Everybody say the word concern. You may not realize it, and you may not feel it, but the good shepherd is concerned about you. 
David understood this reality when he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In David's day, when shepherd would take care of sheep, they did not lead sheep the way that we do today. Today in our culture, when you've got some sheep in your backyard, like we do at our house, you literally have a pen, you enclose them, and you bring the sheep into that area. It's a little bit easier. But in that day, they literally would lead the sheep from field to field, hill to hill, place to place. But that doesn't mean that the shepherds were just going with the flow. No, 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 no. Shepherds had to have forethought. They had to give much effort, intention, and energy to thinking about the future of those sheep. As they would lead them from one field to another, they had to make sure that there was sufficient grass in that next field. They had to think through, is there a source of water that we can get them to? They had to think through, what are the potential predators in that area? Are there any dangers or risks that we need to be mindful of? In other words, as the shepherds were concerned about the well-being of the sheep, they were looking out for them. Even in shepherding today, while many things have been simplified, the fact is, as a shepherd, you still have to have concern for them. You have to be thinking about their source of water. You have to think about the measure of grass that they have, especially during the wintertime. You have to think through what kind of predators are there, what kind of parasites might be available to them. You have to think through those things. Why? Because you have to have concern for them. Proverbs 27, verse 23, God even gives this clear instruction to shepherds. He says, know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. That is not only God's prescription for shepherds, it is what he practices himself in his shepherding of us. So clear was God's concern for his sheep that this same man David would write in Psalm 40, verse 5, many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done, and your thoughts towards us. There is none to compare with you. I would declare and speak of them, but they are too numerous to count. David says, God's concern for me is so great. His thoughts towards me are so great that there are too many even to count. Why? Because the good shepherd is concerned for the sheep. But not only is he confident in the good shepherd's concern, he's confident in the good shepherd's care. It has been said that Psalm 22 reveals how the shepherd gives his life for us. But Psalm 23 reveals how the shepherd gives his love to us. It is the shepherd's concern that causes him to look out for the well-being of the sheep, to pay attention to the sheep's needs, to think about where they're going. But it is the shepherd's care and compassion that causes him to act. It's the shepherd's care and compassion that causes him to take personal measures, to check their hooves and make sure that everything's okay, to make sure they don't have parasites. It's the shepherd's care and compassion that causes him to take ointment and put it on its eyes or put it on its ears or making sure they have fresh. It's the shepherd's care that leads him to practical action. The fact of the matter is, the Lord is a good shepherd. Whether we realize it or not, whether we feel it or not, he is concerned for us. But not as he concerned for us, in very practical and personal ways, he shows us his care and his compassion for us. He literally invites us to bring all of our cares and concerns, our anxieties, our stresses, our burdens, bring them to him. Why? Because he cares for us. David understood loud and clear that the good shepherd was the Lord, and he had confidence in him. Let me illustrate that maybe in a practical way this morning. About a month ago or so, I preached a message, and I used an illustration where I talked about the one ram that we have in our flock in our backyard. And I gave the illustration of how he literally is so connected to me, 
that he will come up to my hand and lick my hand. In fact, this sheep acts more like a dog than he does a sheep, okay? We finished the service that day. I walked outside. I was speaking with people after the service, and there was a gentleman who came up to me, and he said, were you telling the truth about that? And I was like, yeah, I'm telling the truth. He's like, he's, 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 are you serious? I said, yeah, I'm serious. I said, well, why do you ask? He said, man, I've been around sheep my whole life, and I've never seen a sheep do that. And I said, really? I said, well, let me, let me tell you how this happened. This sheep was born several years ago when we were in Christiansburg, he was born as a twin. And he was born as a twin. He immediately came out, and, and, and we noticed that he had a black face, and so my children affectionately named him Vader. Okay, that's his name. There was a Star Wars movie that year, so Vader is his name. And, but, but he came out, and then this, the second lamb in that process was needing a little more attention from its mother. Well, by the, because it was wintertime, by the time the ewe turned around to nurse them, she could not smell his scent. And as a result of that, she rejected him. So what that means then is, we took him and began to bottle feed him. When I say we, I mean initially my wife did this. She bottle fed him. And then I began to bottle feed him. And then when the time came that he was about three or four months old, I began to feed him some very small measures of grain. And then as he got a little bit older, six months old, I'm feeding him complete grain. But when I would feed him, I would only feed him from my hand. So you know what happened when he went out into the field? Every time I hollered for Vader, or every time I, every, I mean, I could still to this day holler for him, he picks his head and he comes running to the fence and says, what's up, what do you need, man? But when I walked into the field after that, and even still to this day, every time I walk in the field, he not only comes directly to me, he always comes to my right hand, always. In fact, to be perfectly honest with you, sometimes he follows me so closely, it's annoying, Okay. There have been more than a time or two I was trying to work in the field and I literally bumped into him because he was so close to me. So how does that happen? How, how did that sheep learn to do that? Because I was bribing him with food, okay? No, no, it happened because in the process of caring for him and giving him attention and feeding him, a bond was connected. And as a result of that, when he sees me, he comes directly to me and he will stay with me literally until I leave the field. That is an image of what David is saying. Listen, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's saying, listen, the Lord is the good shepherd. He's concerned about me and he cares for me. The Bible gives us many illustrations to describe God's personal care for us, but no doubt one of the most incredible is found in Luke chapter 15. How does God care for the sheep? We find that out loud and clear with the parable of the lost sheep. Listen to what he says in Luke 15. What man among you, if he has even a hundred sheep and has lost, how many? One of them does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. What's the response? Rejoicing. Rebuking? No, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. It is the concern of the shepherd that it causes him to be aware of the needs of the sheep and, and attentive to what's going on. But it is the care for the shepherd that causes him in this illustration even to leave the 99 to go and find the one. And as soon as he finds that one and brings it back, he rejoices and he calls her back. Hey, rejoice, my sheep was lost. And now he's found, he's coming home. That is the care of the good shepherd. The third thing I want you to see that brought confidence to David, the sheep, was the shepherd's control. The shepherd's control. I said to you last week, I'll say it again, most of us do not like the word control unless we're the ones who have it. 
We want to be in control. We have a culture that gives us the constant illusion that we are in control. You select your playlist, you select your movie, you do what you want, you live how you want. After all, it's your life, you're the boss, you're God, you're in control. But that is not at all what God's word says. In fact, I would say to us today, that is an absolute recipe for disaster and we're deceiving ourselves by living with an illusion that we're in control. There is one who is in control, but it's not your name or mine. It is almighty God who's in control. And the sooner we submit to his control and yield to his control, recognizing that he's a good and gracious shepherd, the better it will be for us and for others. Many things that can cause a sheep to be skittish. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, it is not only a statement of confidence. Frankly, it is a statement of complete trust in the shepherd. His statement, I shall not want, is resting securely in the character of the shepherd. He said, listen, I understand that my shepherd, the one that's leading me, he's in control of all things, and he's good, and he's faithful, and he's gentle, and he's loving, and he's kind. So you know what I do? I submit to his control. Many things can make a sheep skittish. But no doubt, one of the biggest things that can make a sheep skittish is their fear and lack of trust. But it's amazing how much peace they have when they learn to trust. Let me illustrate that in maybe a practical way that I hope will give you an image that will help you understand maybe this, this principle. I have to confess to you that I haven't shared this illustration, I don't think, in a, in a public setting like this because of my concern that some people will consider this illustration to be animal cruelty. But let me give it today. I said to you when I grew up in Alabama that one of my primary responsibilities on our little farm was to take care of the sheep. I have a very vivid image of the stubbornness of resisting trust and the peace that comes from trusting from something that happened when I was about 12 years old. I remember in our little sheep farm, we had one primary ram, and he happened to have died just because he was old, and, and, and that, that happens on a farm. And I remember my dad going to an auction where he purchased another ram. Specifically, I remember the morning, and I can visually depict what I'm about to say to you. I remember the morning that two trucks showed up. My dad had purchased a ram and three or four additional ewes. There were four men that got out of these trucks, and I remember specifically when they were getting the ewes, they, they didn't bring them with a rope. I mean, they literally picked the ewes, these are big, tough guys, they picked the ewes up and they literally brought them to our little pen and they set them in there. But when it came to the ram, the image I, I will probably never forget is these guys picking up this ram and him fighting them so hard, they had to turn him upside down and carry him by his legs. Four grown men were carrying this ram. Not because he was heavy, but because he was fighting like crazy. He was stubborn and he was kicking. He was trying to bite at them and, and they're wrestling this thing and they finally get this thing into the fence. They're sweating bullets. They, they drop the, they, they let the sheep there and then they begin to walk away and they look at my dad and they're like, man, I have no idea what you see in this ram. I remember them saying to him, you're gonna have your hands full with that sheep. And I remember my dad looking at them and saying, my hands aren't gonna be full. My son's taking care of him. And those four guys did the same thing you just did. They laughed and thought he was joking. But my dad wasn't joking. He looked over at me, and I was terrified. I, I seriously thought, this sheep's going to kill me. 
And I remember the guys driving off. And I remember my dad going up to that sheep. And I remember him putting feed in his hand. My dad tried to get the, the sheep to eat from his hand, and he wouldn't do it. My dad had me get a scoop of feed, go towards him. He said, I want you to offer to The sheep wouldn't do it. In fact, when I walked towards him, he backed up and lowered his head like he's getting ready to ram me. And my dad did something I will never forget. He went to that sheep. He put that rope over his face. If you've seen the sheep, you know what I'm talking about. He took him over to the barn, honest truth, and he tied him to a post. He said, Matthew, this sheep will learn to trust you or it will not stay on our farm. He said, every 30 minutes, I want you to come out here. I want you to offer him feed from your hand and water from the bucket. But I don't want you to offer food or water in any other way. He will learn to eat from your hand or he will not eat here. Yes, sir. Try it again. He wouldn't eat. I walked into the house. I walked into our backyard. And I'm telling you, as soon as we got to the house, you could hear that sheep. Bam! I mean, just bam, ramming that post. We had an old, like, tin barn. And I'm telling you, when he hit that post, when he would go bam, you could hear the whole, I mean, the whole barn would shake. This, I'm not, as God is my witness, this happened, it felt like an eternity with every blow. To the extent, honest confession, I was starting to get emotional about it. Because I was thinking, this sheep's going to kill himself. Like, seriously, he's either going to break his neck or the entire barn's going to collapse on him, but he ain't going to make it through today. But every 30 minutes, I'd go out, offer feed, offer water. He resisted all day long. Right about the time the sun began to set, I, I had done this all day long. I finally went outside, and he still would not eat from my hand, but I remember taking the bucket, and he finally lowered his head and began to drink water from the bucket. That's a good sign. Okay, great. I remember coming out later, and I remember coming out with a flashlight and offering my hand. Maybe he, was, he, maybe he wasn't afraid because he couldn't see me in the dark. I don't know. But he finally began to eat a little bit out of my hand. The next morning, what happened to be a Sunday morning before church, and I remember going out to the barn. There he's still tied to the post, but he's laying on the ground. I got close to him, and he stood up like, what you doing? I have no idea why I did this. It's just what I did. I remember going and literally sitting Indian style on the ground right in front of him. And I just had the feet in my hand, and I held it out. And he came, and I mean, like he was going to town, eating and enjoying, enjoying himself. And, and I couldn't believe it. And, and the closer I would take this feed and bring it to me, he just kept bringing his face closer. Like, like, it was almost like the fear was, it was crazy. I'd never experienced anything like that. I went into the house, and I told my dad about it, and I was like, can I, can I untie him? He's like, yep, I untied him. You know what he did after that? You know where I learned to feed that ram in Christiansburg? I learned it by taking care of a ram on Woodley Road outside of Montgomery, Alabama. Because when I untied that sheep, he followed me everywhere I went. We had that sheep for about three more years before we had to sell him when we moved to a neighborhood where we couldn't have sheep. But not one time again did he ever bucket me, stomp at me, or act afraid of me. You know why? Because he had learned that I was in control and he could trust me. Now, to tell you, he didn't behave very well for the rest of my family, but he trusted me. <laughs> so, Pastor, what are you saying? How often is it in our life where we say, oh, yeah, we know the 23rd Psalm. Pastor, read it again. How often is our life, yeah, the Lord's my shepherd. But how often in our life 
Are we constantly pulling back the reins, trying to gain control, acting like, how often is God doing something that we resist? And frankly, we look as foolish and as stubborn as that sheep, just ramming the post, just ramming the post, just ramming the post, because we refuse to trust our good shepherd without even realizing the harm that we're bringing to ourselves and to others. The good shepherd's confidence, the shepherd's, the sheep's confidence was in the good shepherd because he was concerned for him, he was caring for him, and thank God he is in control. J. Vernon McGee said it this way, the security of the sheep rests upon his trust in the shepherd. Here's the question, do you trust the good shepherd? Finally, I want you to see the conviction of the sheep. I'm gonna wrap up quickly with this, but here's the reality. The Lord is my shepherd, David says, I shall not want. That statement, I shall not want, is first a statement of confidence because he trusts the care and the provision of the good shepherd. But don't miss this final point. The statement, I shall not want, is also a deliberate choice of the sheep. It's a choice of conviction to say, I am trusting in the good shepherd's care. He knows what I need. He knows what is good for me. And I'm not going to look for something else somewhere else. Philip Keller said it this way. This is the sentiment of a sheep utterly satisfied with its owner, perfectly content with its lot in life. It is the idea of being utterly contented in the good shepherd's care and consequently not craving or desiring anything more. This doesn't mean that we're going to love every situation of life. We're going to love every circumstance. No, but here's what it means. It means that we find our contentment, our fulfillment, our peace, and our joy in our relationship with Jesus as our good shepherd. We're not craving or looking for anything more. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 tells us this statement. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money being, what's the next word? Content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Isn't it amazing that the key to contentment is not found in having more? Oh, the world will say, you need more. You need more money. You need more likes. You need more friends. You need more experiences. You need more sex. You need more all these things. But the key to contentment is not found in acquiring more. The key to contentment is found in resting in his presence. Let me ask you a question. Are you content in the good shepherd? Or are you a discontent sheep, always looking for more, tempted that the grass is greener on the other side? Let me close with this illustration. I mentioned to you when we were in Christiansburg and we purchased our first sheep, we had a ram named Max. And we had several ewes. And I remember we, we had these sheep and I'd picked them out. And, and frankly, the, uh, the Lord blessed them. These sheep, these ewes especially, they, they were kind of resistant to parasites, which was awesome. We had one ewe that specifically, every year when she would lamb, it, she, it just seemed like she had twins every year. So she was a, a very productive sheep. And that way she nursed her lambs well. And she was a great sheep. But she had one fatal flaw and that is this she was restless and discontent that may sound funny but, but let me illustrate this so when I got started with our little sheep operation I didn't have a lot of money for fencing 
And so I began to be creative with fencing, and I knew that a buddy of mine worked at a plant down the road where they made like hardy board siding for houses. And so they had these really long pallets that were like 12 feet long and four feet wide. And one day I was looking at them and realized, oh my goodness, you know what? If I turn that thing up on its side, that's like a fence panel. So I called him and I asked him about them. He was like, man, we had to pay to get those things hauled off. And I was like, I'll tell you what, I'll save you some money if you let me have them for free. So he gave me as many panels as I wanted and I used them for my fencing. They were great. Only problem is they were not meant to be outside for a long period of time. And so after about a year or so, you'd have a board that would start to rot and rotten boards can fall off and everything. But this one sheep, I would move them from different places in the yard, but every time I would bring them into the main field that was right next to a road, the sheep would get out and they would start eating the grass and all of the sheep would stay together. Like the flock was unified, everything was peaceful, there was tons of grass, there was a creek with water, I mean, it was perfect. But this one restless ewe, every time I let her into that field, she would go up to the edge of the fence line and she would literally pace the fence line back and forth for about 30 minutes. As God is my witness, I remember watching her thinking, is she just looking for a way out? She seemed so discontent with our pasture that was great. I remember one day finally going out to the sheep, and yes, shepherds count their sheep, and realizing that she wasn't in the field. So I began to walk the field and realized there was a board that had been rotten, and apparently she had pushed her way through it and had gotten out. I went down the road. I eventually found her. I got her back, put her back in the pen, repaired the fence. We went on. By the end of the week, she had found another spot in the fence, nudged her face through it. She got on the other side. There was nothing on the other side. There was like 20 feet in a road, no fresh water, no fresh pasture, but she was so restless and discontent. She was constantly trying to find a way out. If that wasn't bad enough, when her two little lambs got big enough that year, guess who she led out of the fence? Her lambs. They, they followed, literally followed her example through an area, a weak area of the fence. But the final straw came when a few months later I came outside and half of our ewes were missing. Our, our, our mama sheep were missing. You know why? Because she had led them out of the field. Restless and discontent. Always looking for a way out. Always looking for something better. There was nothing better on the other side, but something within her brain thought it was. So there they went. I brought them back. I'll never forget after that incident because the road that we lived on, it was not uncommon. Someone would stop by. They wanted to start a sheep farm, and I would sell a few sheep here and there. A guy stopped by, and he asked me the question. Do you sell any of these sheep for meat? And other men said, I'll sell you one. <laughs> Honest truth. If she had been content to enjoy what the shepherd was providing for her, she would have had many more years of health and happiness in that field. But because she was discontent, I knew not only are her actions harmful for her, but they're harmful for every other sheep in the flock that are following her example. And so I let her go. So Pastor, what are you saying? When David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he is saying, I am trusting in the care of my good shepherd and I am content to submit to him. Isn't it interesting that that same word of contentment is what Paul would use in Philippians 4 verse 11 when he says, 
I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Why? Because both David and Paul were sheep with a conviction in the character of the good shepherd and they were content to trust in his care. Here's the question for us today. Is the good shepherd your shepherd? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior? If you haven't, you can today. If you have, then I want to encourage you. Would you look to him? Would you trust in him? Would you submit to his control? And would you find your peace and contentment in him, no matter what's going on in the world around you? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for the imagery of this illustration, this relationship, that you love us and care for us like a shepherd to the sheep. Lord, help us to realize today that is not automatic. The only way we are brought into your fold is by believing in Jesus Christ who paid the price for our sins. I pray, God, that if we don't know that with certainty, that we would know it today by faith. And Lord, I pray if we do know that today, that you are truly our shepherd, I pray that we would live our life celebrating that we're under your care. When we live our life confident of your compassion and your care for us, when we live our life submitted to your control and content in your presence, may we not be like that ram just ramming up against the post. May we not be like that sheep constantly looking for something better. But may we realize, God, all we need is you. Have your way in us right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.